Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do cover the Green Bay Packers and we don't about anything else. Let's go. Right, hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. It is Wednesday, February 28th, and we are going to talk some Packers draft. It is that time. It is that time of the year. The Combine kicked off on Tuesday. We got to hear from Goody, and there's a little bit of news to go over, so we'll go over that first. But then, as the title of this episode indicates, we're going to talk all about Green Bay's draft strategy because to this point we've talked about Green Bay's needs. We've looked at Green Bay's roster. We've talked about what positions they need to add to. I've talked about safety, nickel corner, outside corner, linebacker, edge, offensive line. We've talked about all that. Running back too, right? Those are sort of the main positions we covered last time. Now let's look at some trends from Green Bay's drafts that can help us figure out not only which positions they need to grab, but which players at those positions are most likely to be Green Bay Packers. So that's going to be the main topic of today's episode. Before we do that, a little bit of news to run through. I didn't deem there to be enough news for me to do a separate episode on this, so we're just going to run through the bits of news at the beginning of this. The longest bit is is talking a little bit about Goody's presser in Indy, which he held yesterday. So. Run through that quickly, and then we'll we'll jump right into into our our topic for today's episode. So, to start, starting on a bit of a somber note, Cherry Star, wife of legendary quarterback Bart Star, has passed away. She is or was considered by many to be the the first lady of the Packers. She's been one of the most incredible humans around Green Bay's organization for for years now. She's passed away. She'll join Bart again. There's there's really not too much to say here other than paying tribute to the incredible person she was and saying, rest in peace, Sherry Star. I hope you found your happy place. That's there's really no way to transition out of that, right? That's that's kind of all there is to say. It's always sad, but I'm sure she and Bart together once again will will be will be happy. So Let's move on to to Packers news. Best way I can I can transition. Rashawn Gary had his contract restructured. What they did was they essentially added void years and cleared in that process 4.781 million in cap this upcoming year. So, what does that mean? It means that in future years we're going to have to pay Rashawn Gary, but in this upcoming year we're not going to have to pay him as much. So, Clearly, because we've cleared that $4.781 million, we're now going to going to sign Antoine Winfield Jr. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, yeah, Packers, they, they tend to restructure contracts in the offseason. Gary was kind of one of the obvious ones that had to be restructured because of his cap hit this upcoming year. So they've done that. And we'll move on to another restructure, actually, which is Preston Smith. They quote-unquote restructured his contract, clearing $2.4 million in cap space. What actually happened, it wasn't really a, a simple restructure. It was more like Preston Smith decided to take a pay cut and said, hey, I'm going to sacrifice some money. I know you guys are you guys are tight with your money. 
I'm going to take a little bit of a pay cut and clear up some cap space, cap space for you guys. I absolutely love Preston. I love everything that he's done in Green Bay. And this just makes me love him even more, right? He's going to, he's 100% going to be around next year. This pretty much, no, not pretty much. This 100% guarantees that. Preston Smith will be back. No surprise there, but it totally guarantees it. And he's taking a pay cut. He is taking a pay cut to do so. Absolutely love Preston and everything that he does. That's great. So that's uh, that's the restructure news out of the way. We'll move on with our, our next bit of news. The next bit of news, Brian Gutekunst, he spoke in Indianapolis yesterday. He held sort of two press conferences, one more closed to the Packers media and another one more open to NFL reporters. So the first thing that I want to discuss is how much he mentioned competition. He mentioned competition in the receiver room, had mentioned how awesome it is that they have a guy, any guy in that receiver room to step up at any moment to make a big play. And then he proceeded to talk about the importance of competition at, at all positions. He talked about the value of competition on defense, how they hope to bring some of the competition they had on the offensive side of the ball to the defensive side of the ball, whether that means rotating guys, maybe along the defensive line, rotating playing time more like they did with the offensive line last year. Maybe that means rotating playing time at cornerback. We don't really know exactly what that'll look like, but it sounds like he really wants to induce competition, which is always, always great. Also said that he's, he mentioned how excited he is about Musgrave and Kraft being on the field together, being a duo together, mentioned how, how cool it was to see the team rally around Jordan. And sticking on the offensive side of the ball, he said he thought Rashid had already shown that he can be left tackle one. Now, he said Rashid needs to develop a little bit. He still has work to do to become a better player. But he said that he thinks Rashid, Rashid has shown enough for Goody to believe that he can be the number one the starting left tackle. He also mentioned, last sort of thing on the offensive side of the ball, he mentioned the value of having a power back. Now. I don't necessarily think this means Green Bay is going to for sure re-sign A.J. Dillon, though he is kind of the, the definition of that power back type. But maybe as we're looking at guys in the draft, we can cross out just shifty running backs because clearly Goody and, and Green Bay in general would like to have a powerful, big-bodied running back on the team this upcoming season. On the defensive side of the ball, Goody said he's super excited about Jeff Halfley. He, he knows they're in good hands with Jeff. And... He said Jeff's emphasis on play style would be quote-unquote welcomed. So, yeah, I think everyone was pretty much fed up with Joe Barry's bland defense. Clearly, I still haven't gotten over it. And then also, last sort of big thing he said on David Bakhtiari, basically said everything's being worked through right now, but he did note that he doesn't like to make decisions until he has to. My guess is that right now, Goody's probably put some feelers out with David's agent, said you know, here's a potential new contract you could agree to that would satisfy both of us. But David's probably looking at that with his team and saying, I don't really want to want to do that, want to take less money, in which case Goody might just have to release David. So that's my guess of where things are at. Goody will make a decision on what to do with David when he has to. That's sort of the big, the big bits of news. The last thing I do want to mention Green Bay's coaching staff is not at the Combine in Indianapolis. They've stopped doing that, I think it was last year, 
where they first didn't come to the combine prior to that coaching staffs well particularly green bay's coaching staff had been coming to the combine every year and this is sort of a, a trend that is is spreading throughout the league a couple of teams have been doing this for a few seasons i think the the rams and mcveigh were sort of the first team to stop coming to the combine basically they just think their time is better utilized back in green bay where they can review film and spend time watching film instead of going around talking to the media and watching players work out and watching them record the numbers that they can just look up online. So, well, in their database. So those are sort of the, the big pieces of news. Again, Rashawn Gary, contract restructured, Goody, spoken Indy, nothing too interesting there. And then coaching staff, not in Indianapolis. With that all out of the way, let's get into a, our actual episode topic. That was a pretty quick news segment, right? Eight minutes. I, I probably spent two minutes talking at the at the first bit of the episode about non-news related stuff. So six minutes of of news coverage, pretty good. Now we can jump in to Packers draft trends, thresholds, patterns, all of that. I I think that the easiest way to do this is to is to first give you a very simple overview of what I'm going to talk about. So, the first thing in early rounds, the big thing, the big key to keep in mind is that Green Bay loves athletes. Early rounds, Green Bay loves big, strong, athletic players. And then in later rounds, Green Bay also likes athletes, but they're they're looking more at how good these players are at football. In other words, you're not worrying as much about projection. It's more, what did this guy put on film? How is that going to translate? So, with that, let's jump into, into Green Bay's draft patterns. I think the place I'm going to start is with their early round draft patterns. And as I said at the top, Green Bay loves athletes in their early rounds. So, what do I mean by athletes? You guys know what, what athletic traits are, right? Size, speed, agility, explosiveness. Well, Kent Lee Platt came up with a metric to to basically measure the athleticism of an NFL player going into the draft. And his metric is called RAS, Relative Athletic Score. He did an incredible job with this metric. This metric is is all over Twitter, social media, everything around draft season because people love to look at it. And what it does is it takes tests or, or measurements from potential NFL draft picks that they record during their combine or at their pro days, and it takes those tests slash measurements, which are, you know, height, weight, bench press, those make up the, the composite size grade, it's vertical and broad jump tests, which make up the composite explosion grade, then there's the 10-yard, 20-yard, and 40-yard splits, which make up the composite speed grade, and the short shuttle and three cone drill, which make up the composite agility grade. So those are the tests slash measurements that he takes. And what he does is he uses the numbers that each player records in those categories and compares them to the same tests done on previous draft picks at the same position. And then using his, his comparison, he finds which percentile each test result slash measurement lies in. So, for example, if we look at Christian Watson, 
Christian Watson ran a 4.36 40 time. That had a 9.7 rating in Kent's RAS calculation, which means that Christian Watson's 40 time of 4.36 seconds is in the 97th percentile of all the 40 times ever run by a wide receiver prospect. Then what he does is he takes all of those percentiles together and comes up with a total RAS grade. For Christian Watson, that was 9.96, which means that Christian Watson, as we look at all of his scores put together, ranks in the 99.6th percentile of wide receiver athleticism. Or, in other words, he is one of the most athletic wide receivers to ever enter the NFL draft. He's one of the most athletic wide receiver prospects in NFL history. And what happens is when we look at Kent's RAS score, this tends to translate pretty well to, first of all, how athletic a prospect is. I trust the math that Kent does. But also to Green Bay's measurement of of prospect athleticism. Because, no, the Packers don't care at all about what Kent says, what Kent says a player's RAS score is. But undoubtedly, they have their own system for measuring prospect athleticism, which they care deeply about. And we can see that because there is a very clear correlation between who they draft, how excellent of an athlete they are, and how well they score in Kent's RAS measurement. So, RAS score is something I'm going to be talking a lot about in all of my draft episodes because of how much Green Bay values that. That is basically how it works. Again, the score, the RAS score, is the percentile that that player is in in terms of athletic testing at their position. So again, you're the you you have a nine point nine RAS score. You're in the ninety ninth percentile for athletic testing at your position. If we take, let's say. Sean Clifford, who had basically a 9.0 RES score, that means he's in the 90th percentile for athleticism at the quarterback spot. That's what we're going to be talking about a lot. So let's actually jump into exact patterns with Green Bay. I do want to clarify one pattern that doesn't necessarily apply just in early or late rounds. It applies really throughout the draft, and that is that Green Bay loves high character individuals. Green Bay does not bring in guys that have major character concerns. And this is also true in free agency, by the way. Everyone's saying, you know, Green Bay should should bring in Antonio Brown back in 2018 or so when he was uh, available. No, that was never going to happen. Green Bay really, really values high character individuals. And that becomes, I think, extremely important when you look at what Green Bay needs their prospects to do, which is develop. They love drafting guys and then having them develop. Well, if you're a high character individual, you know, you're you're coachable, you're going to to put the work in to get better, you have a strong worth work ethic, all of that, then Green Bay probably feels good about being able to draft you and let you develop, let you improve. If you're a if you're a prospect with character concerns, maybe like a Johnny Manziel type, doesn't watch film, doesn't really have that work ethic, that drive, Green Bay's probably going to want to stay away from you because they can draft you and you might be talented, but the chances that you really 
improve on your talent and become as good as you can be are pretty, pretty small. So that is one pattern, their love for high character individuals. That is one pattern that is true throughout everything that they do. So that's that's the one thing I wanted to throw out there. Now, let's jump into early round patterns for Green Bay. And we're going to start with rounds one and round two. And the first clear pattern in those rounds is that they like guys with a high RAS score. Jumping right back in to RAS. Let's go through, I think the best way to kick this off is let's go through all of Brian Gutekunst's first round and second round picks. Just going to list them off here for you. List them off along with their RAS score. Lucas Van Ness, 9.39 RAS score. Luke Musgrave, 9.78 RAS score. Jaden Reed, 6.74 RAS score. Quay Walker, 9.63. Devontae Wyatt, 9.59. Christian Watson, 9.96. Eric Stokes, 9.37. Josh Myers did not have an RAS score. Jordan Love, 8.43. A.J. Dillon, 9.15. Rashawn Gary, 9.95. Donald Savage, 8.37. Elton Jenkins, 9.33. Jair Alexander, 9.53. And Josh Jackson, 9.26. <laughs> I mean, how many nines did I just say, right? There is a pretty clear pattern. Goody has 15 first-round picks. I just listed all 15. 14 of those guys had enough testing available to get a designated RES score. Obviously, Josh Myers was the one who wasn't able to have an RES score. So, of those 14 guys with RES scores, only three had an RES score below nine. Just three. And one of those guys was Jordan Love, a quarterback. That is a totally different animal. Green Bay cares less about RES score at quarterbacks, for sure. So really, there's just two guys. Jaden Reed and Darnell Savage. Jaden Reed, 6.74 RAS score. Darnell Savage, 8.37 RAS score. Just two guys who had RAS scores below nine and were drafted in the first or second round by Goody. And by the way, there's just one guy who has an RAS score below eight. So if we throw away Myers because he doesn't have an RAS score, Green Bay's average RAS score among first round picks is 9.17. If we throw away the massive outlier that is Jaden Reed, that average jumps to 9.36. 13 of Goody's 14 first round or second round picks had RAS scores over 8. Just one was below 8. That is a pretty remarkable pattern. Oh, and, and, and by the way, 12, no, 11 of those 14 had RAS scores over 9. It is such... A, it's as clear a pattern as you will ever see. So, that begs the question, why? Why do they care about RAS score so much? As we'll see later on, why do they mainly care about RAS score so much in round two and round one, and to a lesser extent round three, but it's mainly round two and round one? Here's the reality. The better the athlete, the higher their ceiling as a player, because Sure, you can build athleticism to a degree, you can become stronger, you can become faster, all of that is true, but assuming players work equally hard and do the same amount of strength training to, to improve and become as, as athletically gifted as they can possibly be, there will still always be a gap between players, and that is simply because different players are genetically different. Christian Watson and Jaden Reed. 
Christian Watson is faster than Jaden Reed. Do I really believe that Christian Watson has done so much more training than Jaden Reed and that is why he's that much faster? No. Christian Watson is naturally a faster person than than Jaden Reed. And that means that as we look at players coming into the NFL, the better the athlete, in other words, the more God-given talent they have, the better the player they can be. Because the best players in the world are going to be the people who have excellent technique as well as top-tier athleticism. Having excellent technique is great, but anyone can have excellent technique. You can teach that to some players. It comes easier, for sure. Some players who've been doing it their whole life, it's probably easier for. But everyone can have excellent technique. Everyone can develop excellent technique. The thing that Green Bay can't develop into its players is athleticism. And so in rounds one and rounds two, Green Bay wants to take the players that have the highest possible ceiling. And that means taking the players that are the most athletically gifted. They, they really don't want to limit themselves. They don't want to quote-unquote waste a first-round pick on a player that, no matter how technically sound they become, can never totally dominate a game because they don't have that top-end speed or top-end strength or, or general top-end athleticism. And for the most part, as far as I'm concerned, that's a relatively valid strategy. And, and you, can, you can see that in the fact that it has worked for Green Bay for, and they've made slight exceptions here and there, but generally it has worked for Green Bay for decades, right? And even, even as we look at Jaden Reed, the one Brian Gutekunst first or second round draft pick that had an RES score below eight, his, his RES score was 6.74. He's still an above average athlete, but also that RES score was massively tanked by his height and weight, both of, both of which are in the 30th percentile for wide receivers. Even his bench press was in the 50th percentile. So Green Bay saw the speed that he has, the agility that he has, and said, hey, you're going to be more of a slot receiver for us. We don't care as much about the height and the weight. We'll take you, even despite your low RAS score, we'll take you early. And it worked out. But again, for the most part, they love their top-tier athletes, and you just saw that, right? 12, no, 11 of their 14 first-round picks with RAS scores had RAS scores over 9. 13 of the 14 had RAS scores over 8. High, top-tier athletes. That's what Green Bay is going to take. My second pattern, particularly in rounds 1 and rounds 2, is that the Green Bay Packers emphasize premium positions. And this pattern is flexible, especially year-to-year. It's not as set in stone as... Their, their clear love for high-end athletes. But in general, they tend to emphasize premium positions more. And for reference, for those who don't know, a premium position in football is, is basically what has been deemed the most valuable positions, which generally are quarterback, wide receiver, tackle, edge, and cornerback. Those are kind of the five premium positions. Goody, as we look at his first and second round picks, he's drafted one quarterback, two wide receivers, two edge rushers, and three cornerbacks. That is eight quote-unquote premium positions total. He's also drafted a running back, a tight end, two interior offensive linemen, one defensive lineman, one middle linebacker, and one safety. That is seven not-so-premium positions. So, first of all, technically, that's one more premium position than non-premium position. So, all of a sudden there, you can see that 
maybe he favors premium positions a little bit more, but that can become even more clear when you consider the fact that, first of all, there are fewer premium positions than there are not-so-premium positions, and then additionally, you could argue it's more like nine premium position picks and six not-so-premium position picks, because Elton Jenkins, with his versatility, is is pretty close to being a, a premium to playing a premium position. He can play tackle, he can play guard, he can play center. So I would say there's an emphasis on on premium positions in those early rounds. Now, that being said, I, I as I said before, I don't think this this premium pick pattern is nearly as clear as the RES pattern, but especially given that a lot of their not-so-premium position picks have come when they've needed players at not-so-premium positions, i.e. they took a tight end with Musgrave when they really, really, really needed tight ends. They took a center in Myers when they really, really needed a center after Lindsley left. They took, to a degree, a running back in AJ when they kind of needed a running back to back up Aaron Jones. They took a middle linebacker with Quay when they really needed a middle linebacker to play alongside Devondre. And they took a safety with Savage when they, they kind of did need a safety. So while I don't think this pattern is as relevant or clear in the sense that Green Bay will always take premium position guys, I do think that they are more likely to pick premium position players, especially if there aren't glaring needs at not-so-premium positions. That's my second pattern in the early rounds. And then my third pattern applies to round one and round two, but it also applies a little bit later, rounds three, rounds four. So this is kind of my, my intermediate pattern. It's not exactly a super early round pattern. It's not exactly a super late round pattern. It's kind of, it definitely includes the early rounds 100%, but then it also goes into round three and round four. And that is, and this is maybe one of the most interesting patterns that you, you can see when you look at Green Bay's draft picks. That is that they have very specific thresholds for individual athletic tests. So Green Bay cares pretty deeply, as we've talked about, about athleticism on the whole. They like high RAS players, but as we look at their draft history, there are some very specific tests and measurements that they care about deeply, very deeply, at different positions. And again, this this trend applies to their picks in round one, round two, but even more in round three, or additionally, not even more, but additionally in round three and round four. And one of the biggest tests that they care a lot about is the three-cone drill, specifically for tackles, wide receivers, edge rushers, cornerbacks. They don't need guys to have elite, elite, elite three-cone drills, but they will essentially never take a player with an awful three-cone drill. Um, for those who don't know what a three-cone drill is, a three-cone drill is essentially a, a way of measuring player agility. It's it's a test that I'm not going to describe. It's a little bit too, uh, I'm not going to say complicated to describe, but monotonous might be the right word. I mean, there's a lot of, you have to run to one set of cones and then run back to a set of cones and then run around a set of cones and then run back to the start. And the idea is to measure how quickly you can you can change your speed, you can basically how agile you are as a player. And Green Bay cares pretty freaking deeply about this drill, especially at those those positions that I mentioned. And they care not that you have the most elite agility, but you cannot have awful agility. So if we look at Christian Watson's three-cone drill, he was in the 65th.6th 
percentile, which is relatively poor, actually, compared to the percentiles for his other athletic testing numbers, but basically no receiver that Green Bay drafts has a has a three-cone drill that is below the 64th percentile or so, and maybe maybe around the 60th percentile, and then defensive backs are very similar. They like three-cone drills, three-cone drill times, to be right around that 60th percentile mark, and you can't be below that. If you're above that, great, Dontavian Wicks, above that. But Christian Watson, for example, right, I mean, a little bit above, but right around that 60th percentile mark, they're willing to take him. If he drops down, if he had a three-cone drill in the 50th, maybe 40th percentile, maybe they would have thought twice about it. The edge group is in a similar boat. Rashawn Gary, he only had a three-cone drill in the, uh, right around the 60th, 65th percentile as well, but that's basically the cutoff for Green Bay. Van Ness had his three-cone drill in the 90th percentile or so, and as we, as we look at basically every edge rusher that Green Bay drafts, their three-cone, in those early rounds, rounds one, two, three, four, their three-cone drills right around that 65th, 60th percentile or so cannot be below that. Moving on to the tackle spot, basically every single tackle that Green Bay has drafted in the first four rounds, none of them have had a three-cone drill below 7.7 or so or above 7.7 or so, faster is better, and 7.7 is right around 65th, the 65th percentile for the tackle group. They've drafted, they've drafted plenty of guys with three-cone drills that are 7.7, that includes David Bakhtiari, includes Brian Bulaga, but they don't draft guys with three-cone drills much higher than that, with three-cone drills that are above 7.7. They drafted Zach Tom with a 7.32 three-cone time, which is in the, in the 96.7th percentile. And it's just, as we look at those positions, there's a very clear cutoff right around that 60th percentile for that position group. Green Bay does not draft players below that cutoff. And, and that's because they want players that can move. At the tackle spot, they love having tackles that can get out, get on the edge, use their feet, are agile, can move in space, can teach those or can teach them those outside zone concepts. They value that at the tackle spot. At the wide receiver spot, they value agility because what of it what it brings from a separation standpoint. And more than anything, it's not about me telling you why their draft strategy is is valuable. It's about me saying this is their draft strategy, right? 60th percentile or so is their cutoff for prospect three cone time. Okay, how can we apply that to figuring out which prospects Green Bay is going to draft or more specifically, which prospects they will not be drafting? If we look at more tests, if we look at the 40 time, Green Bay also has some pretty clear 40 time thresholds, especially at the wide receiver spot. That's, I guess, the biggest spot to focus on. They essentially never draft a receiver with a 40 time below 4.56. And that is specifically in rounds one, two, three, four, but it even goes beyond those rounds. I mean, James Jones, he was the last, and that's all the way back in, what, 2007? He was the last receiver they drafted inside round four that had a 40 time below that 4.56 cutoff. Recently, they've drafted guys a little bit later with slightly slower 40 times. Dontavian Wicks had a 4.57 40 time, but even that is, first of all, right around that cutoff. It's just 0.01 seconds beyond it. And then also 4.5 seconds 
in general, as we look around the, the, the percentile that that is for wide receivers, a 4.5740 time is right near the 53rd percentile. So Green Bay, as we look at their 40 time cutoff for receivers, they, they say, hey, if you're a slow receiver, if you have a 40 time below that 50th percentile, we don't want you. We're not taking you. And with defensive backs, by the way, they have a very, very, very similar 40 time threshold. They say, you know, 50th percentile or so, that is the cutoff. You cannot have a 40 time that is below the 50th percentile. And, and that's their draft strategy when it comes to 40 time. They value guys who are fast. They value speed. And I love that. I think it's smart to value speed. And then the last sort of measurement I want to talk about is height and weight. Green Bay really, really, really emphasizes height and weight at particular positions, edge positions, wide receiver spots, and the tackle spot. So at receiver, Green Bay's cutoff is essentially 5'11 in terms of height for receivers and 195 pounds or so. You may not be shorter than 5'11, and you may not be lighter than 195 pounds. Now, They've made a couple of exceptions, but those exceptions are specifically for slot receivers. Jaden Reed, he's weighed less than 195 pounds, shorter than 5'11". They drafted him, but again, as a slot receiver, did a similar thing with Amari Rogers. He was below both the height and weight thresholds, but he's more of that slot receiver. And as we look at all the receivers that Green Bay has drafted in those first four rounds since 2006, they haven't drafted a non-slot receiver that is under 200 pounds. When I say non-slot receiver, basically I'm saying they haven't drafted a receiver under 200 pounds in the first four rounds since 2006, except for three guys, all slot receivers, Jaden Reed, Amari Rogers, and Randall Cobb. Similarly, from a height standpoint, they haven't drafted a, a receiver under 5'11", other than Jaden Reed and Amari Rogers, going all the way back to 2005. And going back to 2006, They've only drafted three guys that are under six feet, not 5'11", under six feet, and those are the same three slot receivers, Jaden Reed, Amari Rogers, and Randall Cobb. They really, really do have a type when it comes to height and weight for receivers, and they have a similar type for height and weight when it comes to tackles. And, and that type is, I'm not going to say smaller tackles because the, uh, the, nobody really wants tiny NFL tackles, but they don't like massive, massive NFL tackles. They like guys that, as we talked about, have quick three cones, can move their feet, and those tend not to be the heaviest, tallest linemen in the world. The height cutoff for Green Bay's tackles in, again, in those earlier rounds, rounds one, two, three, and four, it's right around six foot four. They took Chad Clifton, but that was all the way back in 2000. He was six foot five, but in general, you're going to take a tackle early in Green Bay. You're not going to look for someone taller, taller than taller than six foot four. You need you need someone who's who's light on their feet, who's able to move, who's able to get out in space. That's what Green Bay is looking for. And at edge rusher, they're also looking for a specific height, a specific weight. They like heavier edge rushers. Now that has had to be a theme of their defense because they need edge rushers to to step up and run defense in their base 3-4 scheme, which Green Bay's been running on defense for a decade now. So yes, part of their love of heavier edge rushers has been scheme dependent, but I also don't see that trend changing too much with Green Bay, even though Halfley is going to technically bring in a 4-3 system. I think that 
it is a 4-2-5 league, and so Green Bay is going to need their, their edge rushers to be capable of being, playing the run, and they're going to take heavier edges. As a result, it, the edge cutoff, the, the weight cutoff for edge rushers in Green Bay, it seems to me to be right around that 260-pound range. They're certainly willing to bend a little bit. Often, that bend comes as we get into later rounds, but right around 260 pounds is the edge rusher weight cut off for, again, those earlier rounds, rounds one, two, three, four. So those are generally the, the individual athletic test slash measurement thresholds for Green Bay in the earlier rounds. And this, all of these patterns put together play a, a major role in figuring out who Green Bay is going to pick because once RES score, scores start coming out tomorrow from the Combine, we can pretty much eliminate anyone in the early rounds if they have an RES score below 8 or really even below 9, right? Uh, guys with an RES score of 8 can can really be on that chopping block. Additionally, you can start to eliminate a decent number of positions. They're not going to take a quarterback early. They're probably not going to take a running back early. That's not a premium spot. Might take one round three or so, but we're probably not looking at a round one running back. And then tight end, I would highly doubt they take a tight end. So you can really start to cut off guys there. And then that brings us to our third pattern. And that's when you can really start chopping guys off. You look at an edge rusher, maybe he has a, a nine RAS score. But, oh, look at that. He's he's 240 pounds. Green Bay's probably not taking him. You see a receiver who has a 9 RAS score, but maybe he's five foot nine. Yeah, odds are Green Bay's not taking him. You look at a, a tackle, and he has an atrocious three-cone time. Or maybe he's 370 pounds and six foot seven. Yeah, Green Bay probably isn't taking him. And so once you put all of those bits of information, all these patterns into next year's class and evaluate next year's class using those patterns, you can get a pretty good sense of which guys Green Bay's going to take early on. Again, it is tremendously important to note that these are early round patterns. These patterns we're going to talk about in just a second here tend to dwindle a little bit as you get into those later rounds, but there are Pretty clear early round patterns. Just to recap, rounds one and two, the two big patterns, the massive pattern is very, very high RAS players only. And the second pattern is they generally prefer premium positions. And then rounds one, two, three, and four, they're looking for above average three cone time, above average 40 time, and then height and weight to fit what they want to do. At receiver, they're looking for taller, heavier guys. At edge, they're looking for heavier guys. And then at tackle, they're not necessarily looking for guys who are as tall or as heavy relative to their position, of course. So those are the early round patterns. The late round patterns, it's really, it's just one big pattern, but it's a it's more of a general trend. And that is, as they get later into the draft, there's less of a focus on RAS score and athleticism and, and thresholds and more of a focus on tape. because. As the draft continues, Green Bay, you can see it in their history, starts to care less and less about RAS. If we, if we, let's just look at their draft history, their recent draft history outside of, say, round four. They took Carl Brooks in round six last year. He had an RAS score under eight. Why did they take him? Because the tape showed how awesome his, his skills are. His hands flashed a lot on tape. His feet 
flashed a lot on tape. They took Dontavian Wicks in round five and Grant Dubose in round seven, despite their 4 5 7 40 time. Now, granted, that is barely, barely, barely outside of their general thresholds, but it is outside of them. Why? Well, those players had awesome film. Grant Dubose was awesome at outmuscling defenders for the ball. Dontavian Wicks, I mean, you saw all the promise in his film. His feet are obviously awesome. His release is awesome. His route running is awesome. It, to be fair, Dontavian Wicks' RES score was over 9. I think it was 9.13. So it's not like they were totally reaching there. But he didn't quite fit in their 40-time threshold. In 2022, we want to jump back to that class. They took Rashid Walker in round 7. He's six foot six. That's above their general tackle height threshold. And then, by the way, in undrafted free agency, they signed Caleb Jones, who is six foot seven, well above their general tackle height threshold. Also in 2022, they took Kingsley Enagbari. Despite his RAS score being just over six, he had a 32nd percentile three cone time, not their general edge rusher mold in early rounds. And then they took Samari Toure in round seven, despite his RAS score also being just over six. So it's pretty clear that as the as the rounds get later, Green Bay is more willing to take lower RAS guys. And that does kind of beg the question of why. And the reason is that in late rounds, you're throwing darts. You are you're throwing darts while blindfolded. It's not about in round five and round six. It's not about drafting a superstar player. Nobody expects to get Puka Nakua or even Dontavian Wicks in round five, right? At that point, it's just about getting a contributor. And what is the best way to ensure that you get a contributing player? Draft good football players. Because if you, if a player is on the board in round five and they're an athletic freak, then there has to be something seriously wrong with their tape, whether that is how awful their technique is or they have some serious character concerns. There is a, there is probably, I don't want to say there's something seriously wrong with that player, but you get what I'm saying. There's something seriously wrong with that player if they are, they have a 10 RAS score and yet they're still on the board in round five. And so Green Bay, as they get into those later rounds, they're just looking for good football players. Carl Brooks, RAS score of 5.8, but he's got hands that, that look like lightning. Let's take a shot on that. See how that translates. Dontavian Wicks, maybe he's a little bit slower, right? 4.5740 time. This dude could have top end route running potential. His 2021 tape looks absolutely remarkable. Let's take a shot on that. Oh, look at that. It works out pretty well sometimes. And obviously, Green Bay doesn't totally go away from their thresholds or RAS. Wix's RAS was still 9.17. Carrington Valentine's is 9.3. But they're far more willing to take those less remarkable athletes just to kind of hammer that point home. Last year in 2023, they took four players with an RAS score below nine. One was Jaden Reed in round two, and the other three came in round six and round seven. In 2022, Goody drafted three players with an RAS score below eight. All of those guys, all three of those guys came in round five or later. Kingsley Anagbari, Jonathan Ford, and Samari Toure. And then in 2021, he drafted five guys with an RAS score below, I want to say eight. And that was Amari Rogers in round three, who slot receiver kind of took a shot on him. And then the other four guys that had an RAS score below eight that Goody drafted came in round five or later. TJ Slayton, Samar Jean Charles, Isaiah McDuffie, and Kylan Hill. Pretty clear. Pretty clear that 
the rounds as the rounds move on, Goody becomes less concerned about that athleticism and how how closely they meet the the Packers threshold. So that's what I have. Those are my patterns. Again, I I love I honestly I love this episode because I do think it's fascinating to figure out what the patterns are in Green Bay's draft history, and it gets really helpful. As I talked about before, as we start to look into these early round prospects, and I get to say, hmm, maybe there's a good chance Green Bay doesn't actually end up taking this guy, and it's because he's a tackle and he's 370 pounds, or 360 pounds, or he's he's a wide receiver, but he runs a a 4.640 time, or he's a wide receiver and he's five foot nine. So I do really like this episode. Just before we head out, I want to do a quick recap just so you get all the patterns hammered into your brain in the early rounds. Rounds one to two, they prefer very, very, very high RAS players, really usually above nine. And then they also generally prefer premium positions in those early rounds, rounds one and two. Rounds one through four, one, two, three, four. They like guys who have above average three cone times for their position. They like above average 40 times. For wide receivers, they like heights usually above six foot. They like, for edge rushers and receivers, large, larger, heavier guys. They like, for wide receiver, a weight right above 200 pounds or so. For edge rusher, you're looking at 260 pounds or so. And then for tackle, they like slightly, not shorter tackles, but not massively tall tackles. They don't like guys who are six foot five, six foot six. And they, le- they don't like guys who weigh a bunch. However, as we get to the later rounds, all of those things start falling off. The pattern for later rounds is they're willing to to take guys with a lower RAS score. They're willing to take guys who don't totally meet their thresholds, and they're more or less just betting on those guys being good football players. So that's what I have. That is my that is my episode. Thank you so so much for listening. I will be back on Sunday. I think what we're gonna do is gonna start do talking about prospects from the combine risers and fallers. I think that's usually what we do around this time of year, but we'll figure all that out. Thank you so much for listening. I do want to say prospect profiles, they're coming out very, very soon. Might be as soon as tomorrow, might be Friday. TBD, again, we're just waiting on RAS scores from the Combine to come out. Really need those before I want to start publishing, but we've got a bunch of episodes lined up for prospect profiles. They're going to come out. Super excited for that. I will be back on, I guess technically, I'll be back whenever the first Prospect Profiles episode is, but I'll be back with our regularly scheduled episodes, the ones we do year-round. I'll be back with that on Sunday. Until then, thank you so much, so much for listening. I'll be back then, and as we always end every episode. Go Pat, go! Go!